Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. Happy Sabbath, Loma Linda University Church. It is such a joy and privilege to be here with you, and I'd like to thank your pastor, Pastor Randy Roberts, for the invitation, and also Pastor Adrian Presley for the invitation to come and be with you on such a wonderful and beautiful Sabbath day. I bring you greetings from all your brothers and sisters from around the North American Division territory. You know, I, am, uh, I have to leave and go to another appointment this evening, and they told me this morning it was minus five. So I wish there was some way we could work it out. I could just stay here and then fellowship with you. Uh, Black History Month is an incredible, important, and significant time for the life of our nation and of our communities across this nation. And I really like to thank uh, this church for taking the time to emphasize it and to let us grow and learn together from each other and come into community in such a way that will usher us into uh, the kingdom of God. I invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege and opportunity to be here today. Hide the speaker behind the cross of Calvary that we may not see him or hear him, but we might see Jesus. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw men unto me. Draw us closer to you, Today is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. February, Black History Month. And we started this month with the backdrop of a video being released of a multiple number of police officers, black police officers, beating Tyree Nicholas literally to death. This month seeks to tell the story about a people who have overcome some incredible tragedies such as slavery, Jim Crow laws, redlining, police brutality, inhumane treatment, degradation, laws in society designed to denigrate and separate. Black history is about the story of a people who have survived some of the most horrible treatment of man's inhumanity to man imaginable. However, It is more than about the resilience and determination of black people. It is a story of how God plants within men and women a resilient spirit, his spirit, to constantly go up against the odds and be victorious. So black history is more than just becoming acquainted with many inventions that have come from the minds and at the hands of black people. It is more than just learning 
the many accomplishments that blacks have made in spite of slavery and the horrendous ongoing after effects of slavery. It's about a God who's led his people from tragedy to triumph and back to disappointment and triumph again. It is a history of a people, but also of a God who plants in the hearts of men and women a resilient spirit. As I've read and studied the Bible and become more acquainted and understanding more and more each day on the ways of God, one thing that stood out to me with glaring significance in my studies, and that is that God has a pension and he takes special interest in the marginalized and those who have been weakened by the ill will of evil men and by the circumstances of society. Our scripture reading today gives some insights into God. When Paul said, I went to God three times to ask God to deliver me from this thing, and God said over and over again, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And when Paul understood that, he said, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, and necessities, and persecutions, and the distresses. He said, I, take, I will take those, and I will grow from them, and I will build from them. God seems to be drawn and attracted to the marginalized and the downtrodden in society. He seems to go out of his way to reach them. The story of the gospel is that God himself left his comfortable place to look out to go after the lost and disenfranchised, our world, us. He left glory for a world that is so minuscule in the size compared to the rest of the universe, but God took an interest in us. And I submit to you today, God takes an interest in all people who have been disenfranchised, who have been marginalized. It seems to get his attention in a special way. This can be evidenced when Jesus started his public ministry in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 4. And when Jesus began his public ministry, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And take note of what he said the spirit of God put as his number one priority. He said, the spirit of God has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn and to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beautiful ashes. It seems that Jesus is saying, when God called me, when he began his public ministry, God has called me to look out for those that society has thrown away for the downtrodden and what Jesus is saying through his proclamation the spirit of God calls us to lift people the spirit of God lifts mankind he wanted everyone to know and feel that they were a child of the creator the king of the universe that in Christ that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ. The Spirit of God lifts. 
And when people have been thrown away and cast aside, God seems to make a special point to go and find those very people and put emphasis on them that he loves them and he cares for them. This can be seen in the story in John chapter 4, a familiar story of the Samaritan woman. And if you read the story, as you recall the story in John chapter 4, verses 4, Jesus says, I need to go to Samaria. I need to go to Samaria. God had planted in the mind of Jesus to meet this Samarian woman. And so he goes out of his way to go to Samaria. There are other routes, but he wanted to go because he had, he had in his mind to meet this woman that day. The lot of humanity was his, and he waited for someone to come and draw from the well. So Jesus goes to the well, and he sends his disciples away. And that was strategic on Jesus' part. And when he goes to the well, he waits at the well for this woman who typically comes this time of day. And as she approached, she seemed unconscious of the presence of Jesus. You see, the problem was Jesus was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. And so when she approached the well, she doesn't even acknowledge the presence of Jesus. She goes on about her business of drawing from the well. And I want to draw four points from this that I hope can be applicable to us today. Jesus, with intentionality, went to where this woman was. He didn't wait for her to come to him or to come to his church, Jesus went out of the way. He said, I must needs go to Samaria. He went to where this woman was, and he sat down to the place that he knew she would come. And so when we are called by God, God positions us to people we may work with, people we may live next door to, people we may grow, go to the grocery store with, people we may go to the school with. God positions us around people with intentionality. And so she comes to the well, and she doesn't even speak to Jesus. But Jesus understanding her circumstance, he understands the tension between the Jews and Samaritans. And so Jesus speaks up, and he asks for her a drink of water. He creates the best environment to reach this woman. So he sends the disciples away in verse 8. He says, you all go and buy some groceries. Because he knew if the woman came to the well and there were 12, 13 Jews and she was by herself, it would rob him of the opportunity of reaching her. So he sets the stage, understanding the tension, understanding the issues between the Jews and the Samaritans. So he sets the stage to make her comfortable. I wish somebody would say amen today. Jesus goes out of his way and creates the best environment to connect with this woman. And so he sends the disciples away. He sits there, waits for her. She doesn't say anything. But he understood. He didn't get offended because she didn't say anything because he understood what the tensions were between the two groups. So Jesus speaks up and he asks 
the woman for a drink of water. He asked her for a drink of water. Now, he's the creator of the universe. And as a creator of the universe, he can hold the Pacific Ocean in the palm of his hand. And he asked this woman for a drink of water. Why did Jesus ask her for a drink of water? Was it just because he was thirsty or was he seeking to connect with her? If he would have told her, I have something to give you, she would have turned the other way, Ellen White says. So Jesus puts himself in a vulnerable state, in a vulnerable position, and he asks something from this Samaritan that shocks her. He got her attention because he made himself vulnerable to the Samaritan woman. So vulnerable that she forgot about the question. And it made her ask another question. She said, wait a minute. Why you, being a Jew, speaking to me, a Samaritan? That's exactly where Jesus was headed. What I submit to you today Jesus is modeling something. He's doing more than just trying to get water. He is modeling something of behavior when there is tension between groups. He humbled himself by making a request to make her feel comfortable. That I need something from you. Not that I'm coming to give you something, but I need something from you. So my first point is Jesus goes with intentionality. The second one, he creates an environment that's conducive for this woman to feel comfortable. And then number three, he makes himself vulnerable to a Samaritan, and he's a Jew. He didn't say, here, I I got something you need. I'm going to help you. No, he said, I need help from you. And it it disarmed her. And it opened her heart to receive what he had to say. And then point number four, as a result of Jesus spending time with her, and when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, This is the longest conversation Jesus had with anybody in the four Gospels. And the question started on race. The conversation started on race. And Jesus took it from there. And as he continued the conversation with her, she she became comfortable. And then he offered her something. I can give you some water. And the water I give you never thirst again. And I submit to us today, Jesus gives us a blueprint on how we can model to a world who doesn't know how to love and treat each other. The Spirit of God's task is to lift people. Jesus' task 
was to lift people. The Spirit of God in us will propel, propel us to do what he did, to lift all people, but especially people who have been marginalized. That's the story of black history. It's the Spirit of God lifting a people out of despair. Not just the human spirit at work, but it's God's spirit at work lifting the hearts of men and women and propelling them to go forward no matter the circumstances. That's the real story of black history. It's the story of God going out of his way, lifting the people in spite of their circumstances. And I submit to you that this has been the fuel. It has been the engine. It has been the equalizer that has made the difference in the black experience in this country. It is the Spirit of God lifting a people past what should have been possible. This is what Martin Luther King meant when he said, we will be able to hew out the mountain of despair, a stone of hope. God infusing himself into the picture and putting, we sometimes call it the indomitable human spirit. It is God's spirit that he put in the hearts of men and women to lift them in spite of their circumstances and challenges. And God has called us to do the same thing. He has called us to be his voice. It is that same spirit that, that it was the same spirit that lifted the Israelites after 430 years of slavery. It's the same spirit that lifted an African-American people after 400 years of slavery. It is the same spirit that lifts them in spite of the injustice and the systematic racism and otherwise in our society and even in our church. It is God's spirit lifting his people and God has called us to do what Jesus did. The spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to lift, to lift, to lift, to lift people who are downtrodden and disenfranchised. It doesn't matter the color. It doesn't matter the ethnicity. When God sees a people who are down, God says, I take special attention to lift them because they are my children. And when I have God's spirit in me, I can't walk past someone who's marginalized. I can't look the other way. I got to get involved because it is God's spirit in me that lifts people to the place that God wants them to be. It is the same spirit that lifted Frederick Douglass to become a national treasure. It is the same spirit that lifted Sojourner Truth and Harriet Tubman and Rosa Parks and Ida B. Wells. It is the same spirit that prompted our early Adventist church fathers to become abolitionists. It is the same spirit that lifted the black civil rights activists like Medgar Evans and Martin Luther King. It is the same spirit that lifted a Jackie Robinson to prominence so that this jersey is the only number throughout baseball that has been retired forever. It is the same spirit that lifts. It's the same spirit that lifted a Barack Obama into the presidency in 2008. How did it happen? Black people are only 13% of the population. It is the spirit of God that lifts the Spirit of God that lifted James White and said, we need to have a ministry to the colored people of the South. 
And against all odds, the morning star boat was launched, and thousands and ten thousands of colored people and black people had accepted the precious message because the Spirit of God lives. It's the Spirit of God that lifted Brad Charles Bradford to become the first president of the North American Division from humble beginnings. It was the same spirit that lifted Barry Black from the ghettos of Baltimore City and became the first black chaplain of the United States Senate and serves as a spiritual advisor for the nation's most powerfully elected officials because the Spirit of God lifts. When I look at the progress that blacks have made, work against all odds, and the odds have been stacked up against us and still stacked up against us. It was not like when slavery was over, they said, okay, everybody has an equal playing field. But in spite of it, the Spirit of God lifts through trials. Paul said it this way, we're trouble on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We're cast down, but not destroyed. The Spirit of God lifts. You see, still deeply embedded in black history is the idea that if, we're, if, it, were, if it were not for God on my side, where would I be? That's why the slaves, even in captivity, would sing songs like Swing Low. Sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home because the Spirit of God lives. No matter what circumstances you may find yourself in. God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who has brought us thus far on the way, thou who has by thy might led us into the light, keep us forever in the path we pray the Spirit of God lifts. A few years ago when Ben Carson was running for president, the Seventh Adventist Church got a lot of attention on the news, on news programs. And one day uh, they called over to the general conference and they said, we need someone to come on the um, meet the press, Chuck Todd, and be interviewed. Well, nobody really wanted to do it. I was a low man on the totem pole. They said, Alex, why don't you go do it? <laughs> and I remember we, we had hired a uh, public relations firm to, to help us navigate some of the troubled waters of, of uh, dealing with the press. And so we, this public relations firm flew into D.C. and they spent a day and a half with me going over all kinds of statistics and what about the Seventh-day Adventist Church because they would not give you a list of questions so you can prepare for the Meet the Press show. You just had to go and just hope you can hit it the way you should hit it. And so they, they had prepared me, and they had taken time to, to get all the statistics. I, I know more about the Seventh-day Adventist Church than I ever want to know. <laughs> Deal with doctrine. They dealt with some of the issues, you know, where we stood on these various uh, divisive issues in the country, and, and we prepared. And then meet the press in a limousine over to the General Conference building to pick me up. And, and the communication director got in the, in the limo with me, and all the way down there, they were drilling me, asking me all kinds of questions so I could be ready. Well, I got in there, I got in the makeup, and meet the press, and I, they introduced themselves. I introduced them, I sat in the chair. And the first question they asked me, 
You wouldn't believe the first question they asked me. No one had ever thought about the first question they asked me. No one prepared me for the first question they asked me. And the first question was this. Chuck Todd asked. He said, um, and understand now, get the, get the picture. Ben Carson was running for president. He's black. Then the Seventh-day Adventist Church Center is a representative, this black guy. <laughs> so they had done some research on us and some study on us. And so the first question out of Chuck Todd's mouth was, the country has 13% population, United States. Your church is, has about 35% blacks in your church in, the, in this country. Is the reason there are so many blacks is because of the abolitionist movement, abolitionists among the founding fathers of the Seventh-day Adventist Church? He blew me away. And I'm so thankful that God in his wisdom had them to move the camera off of me because I, I, I was done. <laughs> and he asked the question again, and it gave me an opportunity to kind of bounce back. And I remember the class I had at Oakwood College. Thank the Lord for Oakwood. Come on, say amen, somebody. <laughs> and the class was the Seventh-day Adventist Church and the abolitionist movement. And the class taught us that our forefathers, Adventist forefathers, were abolitionists and they opened their homes up to Harriet Tubman and others who brought slaves from the South, helping them to get free, going to Canada. And we began to talk about that and off the air and off the script, he said, he said I, I could tell I, I threw you for that question. He's, that's why he told me I had them to move the camera off of you so you can get yourself together. <laughs> but after the, after the interview, he said, I'm fascinated. He said, the Sabbath, I wasn't so fascinated about that because I'm a Jew. He said, I keep the Sabbath. He said, but what you all did, putting your money your values on the line, risking your life, what your forefathers did, spoke more to me about the love of God and what your church is about than any of your other doctrines. The Spirit of God lives. <laughs> 